everybody. This is Hope Solo. Welcome to Hope Solo Speaks, your fifth World Cup edition. Let's get right into it. Leslie and Amy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited and honored to have you on. I don't know if you know, but we've had some really fantastic guests throughout this uh, World Cup uh, month, I guess, that we've had. Uh, but I have to admit that you guys are obviously some of the most experienced in the game. So it really is an honor to have you and, and thank you for being on. Oh, wouldn't miss it. Of course. So for those of you who don't know, Leslie coached me in college at the University of Washington. Um, she even coached me on some regional teams, some national team events. She is now the commissioner of the Girls Academy League. Um, and as I said, is hugely admired uh, in our beautiful game. Amy was my goalkeeper coach in college. Um, she too has coached multiple teams, including youth national team. She was a coach for the United States deaf team when they won the world cup. Um, and she also won her very own world <laughs> cup playing yeah. for the United States in 1991. That gave me the chills. You can oh, see my wow. That's nice. <laughs> the player so, pool was much smaller then. Hmm, <laughs> come on. Don't lessen yourself. You weren't much smaller then. You're about the same size. Yeah. I'm growing actually. <laughs> we have the same amount of world cups, Amy. Uh, World Cup trophies. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Take it. Um, so the, these two women clearly have dedicated their lives to the game. Uh, they know the game inside and out and whose opinions are very well respected, not just here in the United States, but around the world. So you guys, let's do this. Let's talk about some soccer. Let's talk some soccer. Uh, first, I want to know how many World Cups have each of you been to? One. Two, three, four. Wow. Four. One men's, three women's, I think. Wow. And one women's, qual one women's qualification that I'll brag about. It was before the 91 Women's World Cup. I was one of two American fans that went to Haiti <laughs> to watch these guys qualify. Yeah. I think. Well, I don't want to say just two I fans, say... but I think it was me and Michelle Aker's dad and a, a couple of others, <laughs> a photographer. <laughs> I've been to two men's World Cups and all but one of the women's World Cups and wow. one deaf World Cup. That's pretty incredible. So, Amy, you just got back from Qatar. I was hoping you could tell us about your experience and tell us what you were doing there. Um, well, experience was interesting. And I went on behalf of U.S. Soccer and met with kids with disabilities at Education City on behalf of the embassy, the Qatar Foundation. And literally before I went in, I was like, okay, now how do you pronounce Qatar again while I'm here? <laughs> and I got three different answers. Um, so I felt good just saying Qatar. Um, anyway. <laughs> That's what I've stuck with anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I also met with uh, Generation. Amazing. Generation, I want to say Generation Awesome. Generation Amazing, <laughs> um, which is young women that are really trying to provide a voice for others. And they were all from Qatar. So it was, we worked with these kids with some disabilities and played some soccer. And that was really, really fun and hard. Um, and then we had this sort of open table yet closed door meeting with all of these women. And it was, the table was set when they said, how did you become the coach of the deaf women's national team? And they're all sitting there and they're saying that we want to raise our voices. We want to know how, how, wow. you know, the United States has done such a good job and we want to sort of lean on them for advice. And how did you become the, the coach of the deaf team? And I said, well, if someone asks you to go to Italy to coach a team in the world cup, um, what are you going to say? 
And all of them were like, no. And I'm like, no, no, no. I said, no, that's why we're here. That is exactly why you're here. You raise your hand and you say yes, and you jump in. So that's sort of how the conversation began. And I have to say, I listened much more than I spoke and just listening to their stories and, and where they are and how, I mean, they've done more things and, and, you know, some have their licenses and some are supporting more people than I did when I was 18, 19, 20. I was just worrying about myself and playing soccer. So that part was was interesting. And then we were supposed to meet again without any adults in the room because there were some media there. And um, it's just sort of mysteriously wasn't allowed to happen. And so that's sort of how, how that went. But I we made some great connections and I really hope to go back um, to the embassy and and that kind of thing. So there, I mean, excuse my ignorance, but there are young girls playing sports in Qatar and playing soccer. And there's also a Qatari women's national team. Yes. And I wanted to learn more about that. Um, and I don't know what their experience is or how often they train. I never even got that far, but I do know that, you know, some of them have their UEFA licenses. Um, they um, really know the game. We talked about the game quite a bit and um, they're so all in and we're exhausted. I think they were the volunteers of this World Cup, right? All of the, the girls, young women, and, and we're just trying to fuel their fire with all the soccer that was going on all over the all over the country. I had no idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that to me, right? they, the, the young girls and the women are actually allowed to play the game. I think yes, behind yes. closed doors. Yeah. Seemingly. No, no, no. no, yeah, I think they do. I think wow. they do. I think the foundation is um they even, you know, it's just habits are hard to break, right? So I think that they're realizing that this is this is the you know, this is the next step and they have to do it. And now they want to, and the women that are carrying the torch are the right women women to be doing it. So yeah, I remember sitting at the table, sort of it was all sort of sinking in because I I wanted to be careful and extremely respectful of their culture. So I would just lean on what we're doing and not, how are you? I didn't ask that many questions. So I didn't, but I remember thinking, man, I'm lucky to be here, man. I'm lucky to be here, man. I'm lucky to be here. Just when I was sitting there wow. listening. Yeah. That's incredible. I assume they have a long road and a long journey to really, For sure. um, you know, compete with the rest of the world in the game, but it's incredible what they're doing. And obviously you being there has got to be quite the experience. Um, Leslie, Amy, what have you guys both been up to in the last three years or so? Well, there was a pandemic. <laughs> so we've been about here. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think that after, you know, 30 plus some year careers, um, in college soccer, that it's been three years since we did that, um, after doing it for so long. And the timing of the pandemic was good, bad. Um, it made it a little bit easier not to miss college soccer when the pandemic was going on. Uh, but we certainly, I can't speak for Amy, but we, I certainly miss the, not just the players, but the alumni gatherings and seeing people on a regular basis that we, for particularly here at Washington, for 26 years that we interacted with on a really regular basis. And I didn't feel that that much until things opened up more. And now we still haven't seen all of those people that much. And so we've, you know, kept in touch, but just physically seeing them, even the people that live here in Washington, you know, that have had babies that have <laughs> done, you know, changed their careers. That, that part's been a little bit tough, but um, thanks to Amy, uh, I wasn't really planning on working um, full-time again, but uh, when U.S. soccer did make the decision to drop the development Academy and, Amy was part of a, she was already doing the job our last year at UW as the academy director for the OL Reign Academy. 
Uh, she was already one year into that and trying to build that club up and, and obviously this attachment to the pros and make it really special in the youth space. Um, so when her league dropped and she and uh, a, a really incredible group of people across the country fought to put a league together, I kind of sat in the house and listened to the 40 hour, 60 hour Zooms that Amy was on um, trying to to put this league together and they managed to do it. Then they were in search for a commissioner and um, Amy's had my back my entire career. So when they needed a commissioner and she asked, I was like, okay, <laughs> there was no, there was no other answer, but yes. And it's really been um, an incredible journey for me. It's been a new skill set to be able to run a league um, of 13,000 girls to sort of help rescue and provide a playing experience for them that not only is, you know, one that they deserve, but it's, we're trying to create a different space than girls have had in youth soccer in some ways. A lot of it is everyone will say it's the same. It's pay for play. It's X, Y, and Z. It's they only want to be in college. It's only about being on the national team. We try to make it something else as well um, by empowering them as players and listening to them and um, having an advisory panel of players that have a voice. So, you know, Amy and these other coaching directors across the country that created this is pretty special. And um, now in my third season of the league, and just off our first big event of the year, uh, it's been it's been really fun to be a part of something um, this impactful for girls. And I can feel it. it. It's similar to being a college coach. It's just when you can affect the lives of players, it's rewarding personally. So that's what I've been up to running a league in my bedroom. <laughs> it seems no different than how you how you guys were at the University of Washington, you know, empowering young teenage girls. Um, I'm not surprised in the slightest that you guys are involved with something that feels bigger than the actual game itself. You guys always get your hands into something that is meaningful, that is impactful, and, and it's surprising, like comes out of, blue, out of the blue, out of nowhere, and then you're saving lives and you're saving careers and you're giving these young girls a chance to play and, and play with a, like you said, a, a probably a much better league um, that is shooting for something higher. So bravo. Bravo. Everybody nice. bow down. Everybody nice. should be bowing down. Um, wh why were you in Israel? Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was. And then Amy had to go one up me and go to the World Cup. And, <laughs> so, no, I'm teasing. But uh, I have been um, allowed in the past to be and I wasn't, you know, just to set the record straight. I was never a capped uh, U.S. national team player. But I am, I did play on the B team and I am uh, a U.S. soccer coach educator and have been for over 20 years. So probably more than 10 years ago, I was asked by U.S. soccer to be a sports envoy for the U.S. State Department through the sports diplomacy program. And with uh, Angela Hukles and Marion Dalmi, I went to Morocco uh, 10 years ago. And then in between then and now, I also went to Ethiopia as a sports envoy to help empower women, to help women transitioning from playing to coaching, to be a voice for women coaches. Uh, in Morocco, I actually ran an abbreviated C license for a group of former national team players transitioning into coaching in Morocco. And we can get to Morocco later because yes. I have a soft spot. Um, and so uh, out of the blue, I was asked if I wanted to go to Israel because they were doing a 50th anniversary uh celebration of Title IX on their own. They're very curious in Israel about Title IX and the law and how it's impacted us here in the U.S. as women. And someone who has lived the entire portion of Title <laughs> IX, all 50 years of it, uh, I guess I was their gal. 
Uh, I was supposed to go with Cami Levin, uh, which was going to be great. Obviously, Cami is the uh, GM now at Kansas City Current. She's a former Stanford player. I've known of Cami, know her. Uh, their team ended up getting to the NWSL final. And I think probably a week before that, she realized drafts coming up, free agency, how big her job was. So she had to kind of ba- uh, back out last minute, which was a bummer because I was looking forward to spending time with her. Um, I'm not Jewish. Cami is. And going to Israel, she has relatives there. She speaks Hebrew. Would have been a really unique experience. And her management in the game would have been insightful for the people there. Fortunately, uh, my good and dear friend and Amy's former teammate on the 91 team, Debbie Belkin, Rodemacher, uh, who finished her coaching career uh, at Michigan in 2007, I called her and within two hours, she said yes to going on the trip with me. <laughs> so I take about two weeks to make a decision, but no, two hours. She, <laughs> I, she hung up. She goes, I got to ask Rob. She asked her husband, called me back. Let's go. I just had to check to see if my passport was current. And so, and Jew, uh, <laughs> Debbie is in the Jewish uh, hall of fame and also is a 91 world cup champion. So she had never been to Israel. So it was a really special trip for she and I to take together. Uh, we were busy uh, day and night uh, traveling the entire country. Uh, we were in um, Arab parts of Israel, Jewish parts of Israel, uh, lower socioeconomic parts of Israel. Uh, I mean, obviously, that country is wrought with history, <laughs> um, some of the most steeped history in the world, so to speak. So it was a unique experience. The people we met, the women we met specifically were uh, incredible. A little bit like Amy's story is that, you know, when you think of Israel, you don't think of men's and women's soccer. They, you know, for political reasons more than anything else are a part of UEFA. They're not a part of the Mideast. They're not a part of Asia. They're not a, and which is difficult because qualifying for anything in Europe is difficult. And they're trying to find ways in their culture where it's not really looked upon as um, something that you do for girls, Jewish and Arab in their culture to play soccer. Um, And what we found between day one and day eight was so many great people that are involved in women's soccer. And every day we would say to the group we were speaking to at the moment, you guys should talk to the people we were with yesterday and get together because you all have a lot of the same ideas and the same passion. Day three, hey, you should talk to those other two groups. Day four, those other three groups we just met with. <laughs> so the U.S. Embassy and the people that work at the U.S. Embassy, some of which are Israeli and some are American, that are are trying to create this diplomacy diplomacy through sport, are doing an incredible job of connecting groups. And I think that well, we've already had several follow up calls with them. I've only been home two weeks that they are really taking to heart some of the things that we talked about as far as grassroots, youth players, festivals, countrywide, diversifying their groups. There was one group we met with that had Arab and Jewish girls in a neighborhood league playing together in the south of Israel that they meet once a week to play that the U.S. Embassy sponsors and this other club sponsors. And these kids now interact with, with each other in society, like at the grocery store, they'll see a kid that they play with on Saturdays or Wednesday night or whatever it was. And they were telling us that these young girls would never in society ever have an interaction in society without this neighborhood league. And so our mantra the entire time was you have to start somewhere. And I'm telling you, if you were to forecast this 
keep doing this and keep building it around the country 10 years from now, you're going to see a huge change, not just because, well, because of sport, but you'll see a huge societal change that these kids that they're going to respect their own Jewishness, their own, you know, Arab culture, their, their own families and how they live their lives now, but they will also have a respect for others. And I think that that is no different than here, to be honest. And that's what we said the entire time. We're like, it's why diversity matters, why inclusion matters. We're all better with each other. So not to get soapboxy, but it was- Well, I got to tell you, this is the uh, second time in 15 minutes that I've had you on the show that I have goosebumps and you almost brought me to tears. I think in my old age, I'm getting a little bit softer. Um, (laughs) Or maybe I always have been, you guys would know. I was a softie deep down. It's it's toddler fatigue is what you have hope, but- um, But so it was, it was really, and those trips are always really impactful for me. Like I I get so much out of being there and being with people outside of my bubble in Seattle. And uh, so from, for the women's game and even for the men's game, we met with the Israeli, the IFA, the Israeli uh, Federation, and we met with their technical director on their men's side. They're looking for a women's technical director and just talking to them again, not the grassroots, but now their federation and how they want to make football better in their society from a national team's perspective uh, and just to hear where they are, hear where they want to go and be able to offer any kind of advice from where we sit. And I, I did it then segue into Morocco because obviously Israel is about the size of New Jersey and this country is a whole nother animal, the U S um, but they look to us for a lot, but I, I mentioned Morocco and the investment that they've made both in their men's and women's sides and this was 10 years ago I was there. And I said it when I was there, I said, wow, if they really put the time and energy, they have the infrastructure here and the people that want to do it. I really think this country could take off as an African nation in the World Cup. And lo and behold, both both men and women have qualified for the World Cup. Um, the men, it's incredible. Um, they're my my dark horse team to kind of root for, along with my boy, Sonny, at, at South Korea, in South Korea. Um, but it's uh, just because I, I love watching him play and I'm a Spurs follower, but the men's world cup has been exciting for that country. And I think it's building for the Moroccan women next year to kind of, you know, ride the wave of. I've felt that I've, I was supposed to be in Morocco in March. I invited you. Yeah. 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 Of national, of national pride for them. So it's been pretty cool to kind of cross over and have these global discussions with people about their own federations and, the top level of soccer in their country and also the grassroots level. So and I've heard that the president of the Moroccan Federation now is is just dumping a ton of money and investment into the women's game. So we should see an improvement, like you said, within 10 years on the women's it, side as well. Well, it was interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, I was uh, because I had been to Morocco, Kelly Lindsay and a guy named Ocean um, Roberts is from Wales, but he's now working back in England. And I think he's at Leicester. I'm not sure, but they were both in Morocco as technical directors. And Kelly had called me because I'd been there. Do you want to come over? I'm like, "Mm, not during the pandemic and not, I can't, I don't feel comfortable leaving the U S right now just for personal reasons. And, um, but at the time she was setting up leagues all around the country and the Federation was investing their facilities at the Royal training center are Mm -hmm. phenomenal. And she was working really hard to put Moroccan women um, in place in these leagues as assistant coaches, as head coaches, as, you know, U20 coaches. And Ocean was doing the same thing on the men's side. And I believe their head coach is Moroccan, their, their men's coach. And, um, and so, you know, they both left, I want to say over a year ago, uh, Kelly's in England now. And so is Ocean, but the, the, um, 
the investment has paid off. I mean, it's clear yeah. Yeah. that what they've what they've done and how they've gone about it from a strategic uh, respect has has paid off for them as a nation, and it's really cool to see. Beating Spain, unbelievable! I don't think anybody could have predicted that. Well, you know, you're sitting here with two goalkeepers and a defender. So, <laughs> how Morocco defended and the heart and the passion and yeah. how they stuck to their game plan was, I mean, it was it was really something to behold and. I just think if you get a country like Spain to the point where you can get to penalty kicks is an accomplishment in itself and to win it. Wow. Okay. So let's get into this World Cup. Obviously, we're going to talk about Morocco being the dark horse and being so inspirational and beating Spain. But uh, I want to rewind just a second. I want to know how your families traditionally enjoy the World Cup. Obviously, you've been to many of the World Cups. Amy, you just got back. Oh, and I see brackets. That <laughs> is a lot of brackets. It's our family's money writing on them. Yeah, uh, no, I think I think I think Amy's no boys. Fun. I think I think Ben and I think Ben and Nick. Nobody's collected money for me, but it's I all think for Amy, pride. Amy's Amy's sons are off in uh, college in California, and I think that their hope is that um, they they've been to so many women's World Cups and traveled around in the RV in Germany and <laughs> um, went to you know were able to come to France and when it was here in Canada nearby, we went up to BC and. I think their hope is that in addition to Amy and Jack paying out-of-state tuition in California, that they also get to New Zealand and Australia. Continue to go to World Cups. They kind of think it's a given. I Ever since the kids were young, Leslie, the first time, bought everyone jerseys, you know, asked them which country they thought we were going to win. Of course, we're U.S. fans, right? We, we'd always stick Ben in the, in the U.S. jersey at first, right? Because we were like, okay, we got to cheer for the U.S., but just for fun. And we, and, and we've done that ever since, except for this year. And what I love about the boys is they were like, how come we didn't get our jersey? Like mom, that's tradition. And I had no idea that I had no idea that that was something that they adamantly look forward to, whether they're home or away. And so we got to get the pools out and we got to talk about the games and how come we're not getting our sticker books. I'm like, you still want your panini sticker books? You're 21. You're, you know, and they're like, yeah. So, and they've done that for the men and the women. Um, they're, they're probably bigger fans of, they probably know more players across the board than I do, um, because they're, they're a huge fan of the sport. And so, um, yeah, that's that. So we, we had to get out some of our old jerseys and pass them around and swap. Oh, you wanted Brazil. I've got the Brazil Jersey from way back when. So that's sort of how it rolls. So before we talk about mine and Amy's brackets, we'll just go through Ben has, uh, he's got Brazil winning it. Okay. I think Zach also has Brazil, but he didn't fill out a formal bracket. That's my son. Uh, and Nick went with the Netherlands, who are still alive. Really, Nick? Yeah. Okay. Um, Jack, I don't know if you know this about Jack, but he is half Canadian and half English. His dad is from England. His mom is from Canada. So Jack went with England, uh, which, okay, Jack. And then Amy and I, Amy, who did you have? I did Brazil. Amy and I both have Brazil. Wow, that's a lot of Brazils, guys. Netherlands. I had Netherlands in the semifinals. I did have, I did have the U S in the round of 16. I think we all did. Yep. Yeah. Very hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Everybody had the U S in the round of 16. Let's see my family. Jeremy was going for Spain. Okay. Mm. Sorry, Jay. Oh, yep. He's not going to win it. And I have Portugal. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they're playing, they're playing pretty well, even without Ronaldo starting. Yeah. And they have um, an interesting path. Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. 
before we move forward in the tournament, I want to talk about the USA. Um, Amy, did you go to the USA match? I did. I got to go see them play the Netherlands. Wow. I know. Heartbreaking. I know. I know. Tell her, tell her what she did. Ask her what she did after that match. I I raced the interesting part is the, all the stadiums are within like 20 minutes of one another, but with the crowds, I, I hoofed it to the other stadium and got to see, I was sitting behind the goal of Australia, Argentina. So I had Messi running right at me and that, that was going to the games live, any game, men's or women's, but especially at that level at the world cup, the speed and control the combination of, and, and composure, like just how relaxed the best of the best are. And the window of opportunity is there for only that long and then it's gone. And so to be able to get to see that I was in the third row behind the, like with the Australian fans, I don't know how I ended up right exactly there, but I was there. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. I don't know. So you watched Messi play live. You watched Argentina, you watched our men's team lose to the Netherlands. Yes. Uh, all right. Give me your overall performance ranking of the U.S. men. I, I'm I'm the worst because for once I was at an event as a 100% fan, like crazy fan. Um, but being there live, uh, it seemed they did have chances, and yet, and yet it seemed to me the overall vibe watching them was we're afraid to lose. We're not just going, going for it, like with reckless abandon. And I, and I, I know reckless might not be the term, but I just mentioned that window of space is only open for so long. And that we would always take that extra touch to be so careful. We don't, you know, there were some windows on the attacking side of things where I think we could have influenced the, their back line a lot more and put them on their heels and turn their back line. And I think we just didn't have that pace or the confidence to just hit it, right. Just to hit it before the window closed. And then defensively, I just thought we were very poor. I thought, um, you know, so it seemed a little bit uninspiring, but I think that's because I was so all in that I I would have rather just seen people winning balls off the line and marking up and whatever it's like, that's sort of our, our mentality on the women's side, right. Is whatever it takes it might not be pretty. Um, but you got to go get the job done at the end of the day. You know, we're no longer developing. We're no longer learning. We're not just get it the frick done. And I didn't have that feeling at the same time. They did create some quality chances at the same time. I saw a lot of them in the hotel and everyone, I don't want to use it as an excuse. I want to use it as man. They are, they are pretty young. <laughs> right. Um, and I kind of feel like they yeah, their qualifications is much shorter than, you know, all the European teams and, and much different looking than all the European teams. So the preparation is much more, I feel like that on the men's and women's side, you know, in totality, but um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious, you said that, that you didn't find it inspiring while you were there in the stands, because when you're back home, we see the commercials, we see the late night yeah. talk shows, you hear everyone wants you to believe here in the United States that we're turning this page and we're looking to the future that we've come so far, which we have obviously from not qualifying to losing to the Netherlands. Um, I don't know how to feel because I'm with you. You do what it takes to get the job done. And when I see defensive errors to me, to me, to me, that's a, 
obviously a mental error. You know, you take the mentality. It it is a mentality, but who coaches the mentality? So I I also blame Burhalter a little bit because that needs to be drilled into the players. If you're not tracking back defensively in a knockout round game during the World Cup, and this is your captain. I mean, I know that we all make some mental errors. I get it. But this is a choice. You track your ass back. You sprint back. You make that hard tackle on the top of the box. And so for me, I, I don't know. There were a lot of defensive errors. You know, there was a yellow card in the first game. Um, just a bad tackle. Um, so I don't know if it was a lack of mental preparation because it, it comes down to those little tiny details. How the goals were given up made you just kind of take the wind out of your sails. If you score, if the goal was earned, like if you're like one of those show-stopping goals that we've seen, you'd be like, all right, we got this. You know, that that was you know, that was awesome. I'm glad I was here to see it, but how those goals made made you forget about all the good things pretty easily. And there were there were plenty. I think, I think Holland had our number and we didn't shift, you know quick enough to a different game plan, but, um, I thought it was the best I've ever seen the men play in a world cup. I thought it was fast paced. I thought they ran their asses off. They ran hard. You know, Pulisic is obviously a very talented and skilled player who creates a lot of opportunities, but obviously I, you know, the debate is, do we really, is he the man? Is he really that true goal scorer? He's not the Mbappes of the world. You know, he's not the the Harry Kane's of the world. I gotta say, (laughs) (laughs) take him off set pieces, Amy said. Uh, I, we, you know, I had the great fortune, um, you know, it was way more fun than actually being in the stadium and watching the game is that this, uh, facility that we were hosting our youth tournament at (laughs) for the girls Academy at bell bank park has these huge, uh, it's a huge complex and they have these huge reader boards, um, video boards, and we were able to get the game on every field on the video boards. And so my director of events and I, the day before, like, I'm like, Kyle, we're putting the game on. We're going to put the game on and it's, it's the world cup. And so I don't care if people are looking up or if the kids are distracted or whatever, (laughs) we're putting the game on no sound, but we'll have the game up there. And then he's like, okay, it'll be about halftime. And then if, if the U S game goes to extra time, this is what we'll do. And like, we, we had every scenario planned out. So that if we went to PKs that we were going to stop the entire complex and have kids just up looking at the board, watching the penalty kicks. So we didn't get to that point, but we were ready for That's every scenario. But it was really fun. cool to be there um, with everyone else that loves the sport, clearly, and the kids. And there was enough of a break. And at the end of the game, the games had been stopped because they were the timing actually worked out pretty well. Uh, but I, I'm a little bit with Amy, but I would say this is obviously you and Amy have both been on the world stage um, and, you know, maybe a little bit more popular when you played than when Amy played as far as the big crowds and the pressure and um, I, I just have a couple of, I don't know, maybe opinions about, um, where our men's national team is and, and I don't think anyone can ever know what that, that seat is like the, the being the head coach of a national team. I don't think unless you've lived it or you've done it yourself, uh, what that seat is like and what I do give Greg credit for. And I've been around their team a couple of times. I know a few of their guys, uh, is that one that American team looked more like America than any team we've had in the past. Um, so I think that can't be overstated enough. The youth of that team and the investment in this group um, to potentially have the bulk of them back when we host the World Cup in 26, I think is, um, whether absolutely strategic or not, is wise. Uh, because I think the expectation when they're here at home to fill stadiums uh, and to be the team to follow like we were in 94 when the Men's World Cup was here 
is going to be really important. And we all remember the 94 team. Look at, they're all broadcasters now, mm-hmm. a lot of them, and they've all made a, a name in the game. And that's been one of our best eras of men's soccer in this country. So I, I, I think those things have to be given credit as far as their performance and their performance in particular against the Netherlands. When I first started watching the U.S. in the group stages, I was like, I was really enjoying they it. They were fun the, to the, watch. The pace, yeah, the, the talent, yeah, yeah. the, I just felt like they connected regardless of what people want to say about the substitutions or the management of the game. Greg was a young World Cup coach. The team was a young World Cup team. Um, you can be critical of that. I mean, decisions made, whatever. Uh, but how they played and how they carried themselves and how they handled themselves as a nation and how they represented us, A plus in my opinion. 100%. I mean, and I think that we can't, that can't be lost on us. Um, the Netherlands game specifically, uh, it, it, just in experience overall. And I mean, the combination of we were a little bit on the front foot at the beginning. And if we could have scored one of those early chances, it would have obviously changed the game when we didn't the clinical finishing of the Netherlands. I mean, it looked like a drill. All three goals were like rinse and repeat. Um, And I think it just, you know, Amy put it the best. The wind was out of our sails at that point. It was just difficult to not feel like that could happen at any moment against us and that they were quality enough in, in the final third to do what matters in soccer, which is score goals. Well, in four years from now, is somebody like Pulisic, is he going to be that goal scorer, that pure goal scorer? Yeah, I, I think or- what I think, just like looking at the the number of men in our country that are playing in foreign leagues, the number of men in the MLS that are excelling, the amount of younger players we still have coming up through the system. Um, I don't think it all has to be on Christian and Pulisic. I, I, I think there's going to be others that rise. You know, there's criticism about not taking Pepe on the roster, um, Ricardo Pepe. I, I think we have those players. It just takes time. And, you know, 2026, if we were to think 20 years ago, us talking about winning the World Cup in 2030 or whatever, maybe it was 20, they said it, <laughs> 2018. <laughs> what was the first time we said we were going to win it? Um, but just getting into the round of eight, getting into, you know, being a team that truly can compete with anyone, which is what I think we showed this time around, that we we deserve to be there. We belong, uh, is I I think the strategy, I I don't think it's a bad one. I I think there are enough young players that if the, you know, qualification, if the experience in friendlies during the international windows is high quality that we can get there as a country and that we should look forward to one Seattle Mm -hmm. 26 and, uh, maybe the U S will swing through here. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's an exciting time for our men's team, to be honest. Absolutely. I think you feel that excitement all around the country right now. Um, I believe it was Project 2010, which is what we were aiming to win the World Cup by on the men's side. Um, so hopefully maybe in 2026. And obviously, like you said, Seattle's a host city, incredible soccer city. Um, where will the games be held? At, at Lumen, at the Seahawks uh, Sounders. going to lay down. At the Seahawks Sounders yeah. OL Rain Stadium. and. <laughs> It's a it's a great point. So the big controversy in the NFL now is the number of football players that are getting hurt. And Amy and I have been mm-hmm. on about this forever, as you know. Um, the Lumen Field, the vote in Seattle for public monies was based on it being a soccer and football facility, but it was also based on it being a grass surface. Mm-hmm. Well, the NFL recently, there's been a couple people that have started to scream all NFL stadiums should be grass. And 
we're like, okay, the NFL's on board. Now can we have grass in our stadium? So, and now that OL's playing there, in addition to the Sounders uh, and the Seahawks, uh, I think it's a, Seattle's a great city. It's, it'll be a great venue. It'll be, I mean, it's four years from now. So we're going to try to keep the hype going and stay excited and wait for that draw and see which teams get to come through. It'll be cool. So back to Berhalter. Um, do you believe that a coach, and it's not just about Greg Berhalter, um, in particularly, but do you believe a coach should stay on for two cycles? Um, there's a lot of debate about having a manager or a coach for only one cycle, and it's good to have change and to have new eyes on the game as you lead up to a new event like the World Cup. Well, it's working for Deschamps. <laughs> would be the example. Uh, I think. Uh, I think with Greg and. You know, I don't know. And I, I've heard a lot of people say who wants this job. The U.S. job is a, there's no big name that wants it, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think if the overall U.S. soccer strategy was to qualify, get experience, you know, try to develop this group as much as they possibly could through the 2022 World Cup, looking forward to hosting in 26, where we don't have to qualify. There's something to be said for keeping the same manager. Hmm. Uh, whether you know, everyone's going to have their opinion about that. I don't know, again, that that's necessarily a bad strategy with national teams in particular. You've heard several managers, the minute their team lost, they knew their contract was up when the whistle blew. So it just, you know, there's, there's varied opinions on how that should look. I don't think a national team in general, in very few instances, should a national team coach be there through more than two cycles. I don't think that that be a long time. Yeah, I, I don't think the long the, the tenure of ten to ten plus years, twelve years, the Anson Dorrance <laughs> legacy of being the women's <laughs> national team coach for or as long the Lessa Gallimore at University of Washington. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think the I think ma- head coaching managerial seats are are hot seats that are meant to be you know worked really hard at and just know that your time is probably limited if you don't excel, and even when you do, your time might still be limited for a new new set of eyes and a new approach. Uh, okay, so I want to hear from you guys, you know, all the debate about what's holding America back, you know, we're not in the the top eight teams in the world, even though we put so much money into investment, investment at the youth level, the academy levels, um, you know, the recruiting, we put a ton of money into being hopeful that we're going to be in the top 10 teams around the world. And we're still banging on that door. Um, huge nation, obviously, we have a huge player pool. So what what is it that is holding us back? Is it just our lack of soccer culture? So we're behind a couple of decades from smaller countries like Spain and France. Um, is it our youth system? It took us too long to invest into the youth system. Or is it really what everybody says is that we're losing the best athletes to baseball and basketball and football? What is it? Ooh, I think it could be a combination. I do think when when all of the best athletes trickle towards soccer, I think that will influence the game quite a bit. I think um, it's one of the reasons the women have been so successful. It is one of the primary sports, so you sort of have that as a as a rubric. Um, again, I'm just coming off of watching Argentina play, which made me come back and say <laughs> we need futsal leagues everywhere. Mm, because that's a good point just because kids would get way more touches on the ball and if there's already gyms in place there's already gyms everywhere in every middle school elementary school uh high school um and so 
you know, sometimes we get, we get the ball in tight spaces and you see our shoulders kind of go up to our ears. And when Messi gets the ball, he couldn't be happier and more relaxed because of sort of that. We always talk about the environment. We're like, wow, we don't, we don't, um, we're not playing in the streets. Everyone says, you know, let's take everything away from Americans so that they, you know, have to play with a rolled up sock in a tiny space in a parking lot or whatever. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that culture, because we don't have it, how could we create it a little bit more often and provide more opportunities for all kids, right? That would do it. If you, if there was a, instead of just people finding the academies, like you said, at, at the older ages or whatever, if everyone started out with the ball at their feet, if everyone got more touches on the ball, um, I do think that would help. And yes, we have a huge country. And, I, but I try to think of, if you thought of Europe as one country and the soccer influence that has that, you know, say that we, we don't look like that. If we, that's Europe and soccer's everywhere and it's on every TV and all the kids are playing it. And we're this, you know, that size as America, but it's just sprinkled, you know, it's so much more diluted or dispersed across the country. I think it makes it really hard for us to come together as a country to have one style of play and one understanding of the game, which would, which would be helpful. I believe it's still the fastest growing sport in America. Uh, and it for, has been for a really long for time. For a long time. Yeah. So we're getting yeah. there. We yeah, getting there. I, I, I do think we're getting there. And then the difference between bad or or good and really, really, really good, that gap is huge, but it's easy to get there. And the difference between really good to great, it might look like this, but it's hard. And sometimes luck has to go your way. And think think if that game would have gone into penalty kicks, the confidence, just the mentality maybe would have shifted, right? But it just didn't. So now we're we're having these conversations where sometimes the ball just, you're in the right place at the right time. Well, and, you know, take it back to Morocco. They put in the investment 10 years ago. Look where they're at right now. Right. And I do want to get into Morocco here in a second. But Amy, what do you think about American goalkeeper, Matt Turner? Love him. Yes. Love him. Yes. yes. Well done, he's got, Matt. Solid. Yeah, he's like, like calm demeanor. You know, everything could be on fire in front of him, and he somehow manages to keep his wits about him and come up with some really great, amazing saves, but also be consistent. And um, I, I mean, I got a sense of the pressure. I saw him at the hotel with a teeny tiny baby, you know, right after. And I was like, and he literally had his hands like, you know, and I was like, wow, how, you know, it's, that's a lot. And I, I think he's, I think he managed all of his games very, very well. And I think he managed the players in front of him well, and he managed the pressure. Well, it's a fun, I'm not fun sure story. I, I believed in his um, ability to manage the players in front of him. Um, and, and I say that only because of the breakdown in defense and, and, you know, not somehow pinching your defenders. Right. I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't, on that and one. I didn't even see him communicating. He didn't even so. take a quick look. Like no, check your back first, post. That's check the first place you post. look. So you, you know, whether you need to, you're going to have a Brown streak in your underwear in a four seconds or not. You see, <laughs> so you do, you're like, at least you want to know. And I don't think he did at that moment, but um, there's a lot of other things that were going on where the ball was where I don't know. I don't know, but um, maybe yeah, that comes with experience. And like Leslie said, this is a very young team and I think we should yeah. all be excited for 2026 when yeah, the World Cup is right here in North America. Um, tomorrow's quarterfinal start. Um, I think the game I'm most excited for is England versus France. Um, just the way France is playing. Obviously, I, I like to root against England. <laughs> so that's why it's also a fun game for me. Mbappe right now, I think is unstoppable. Um, and I, it's going to be a, a great 1v1 matchup. 
um, with the English defense. So for me, and, and what do you got? I mean, Mbappe, is he not just fantastic? Yeah, a lot of people had thought France was going to be limping into the World Cup, and they have proved the opposite. They are they are a delight to watch. Um, and it's clear, again, I mentioned Deschamps and, you know, his longevity with their national team. There's been some consistency there that regardless of the puzzle pieces he's plugging in, there's there's consistency to how they perform. And, um, and you're seeing that. I you know, no one in our family has them picked. Um, I think there's, I, I think France could easily be the winner of this mm-hmm. World Cup, watching how they, they've they performed up to this point. So that's exciting. So most of your family chose Brazil. Croatia plays Brazil tomorrow. Netherlands versus Argentina, I think will be another great game. Um, and then Morocco and Portugal. That, there that's going to be hard for me. Because there, goes, there goes your bracket. I see. That's what I'm thinking. And, and I, I have a feeling that my heart's going to be pulling for Morocco, but I think I'm going to be heartbroken either way in yeah. whatever happens in that game. Yeah. I, that one will be interesting. I mean, the, their, their last game, and I don't, you know, pretend to know what the, the loads of this world cup feel like on players that have played however many minutes and the rest and everything else. But uh, the emotional and physical expenditure of en- energy by Morocco in that Spain game yeah. to, to not have the ball that much and to defend that hard. And for Portugal to end up with a 6-1 victory coming out of it, I you know I, I think that one could end up going the way most people think it could, but the heart of the lion, we'll see. Morocco might be able to pull another one out. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of people emotionally pulling for them. Yeah, I think you're right. They They... They could be quite exhausted. The <laughs> emotional highs and lows as well, yep. not just the physical ones. A little, a little bit like South Korea going into their game, how much it meant to them to move on, and you saw when they lost how much it meant to their country. Um, and Brazil just toyed with them. So mm-hmm. you know, and it was it's a little bit like the U.S. going out in the round of sixteen. It's like now these expected teams are kind of moving on, and you know, again, England, England, France. Uh, Argentina, uh, Netherlands, Netherlands, Croatia is yeah. always one that people sort of underestimate. They're good. You know, I do too. I, they're always good. They play great mm-hmm. as a team. You're right. Yeah, no one talks about good. them that much, but they're, they're good. I'm not a huge Luka Modric fan. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I like him. I think he's good. Yeah. I like him. I don't like his attitude. Have you ever just watched him play? He's always yelling at his teammates, constantly angry, constantly mad. I don't see him inspiring and uplifting his teammates oh, oh, around hey. him. Luka Modric, yeah. yes. Well, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be, they're going to be fun to watch. These are going to be good games. You talk about the loads on players. I, again, I'm going back to Messi, the most efficient player ever. He literally stands around when he knows he can't influence the game. I don't mean that in a bad way. So experienced, head check, head check, head check, move away, move away, move away, blah, 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 walk, 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 boom, boom, touch, boom, touch goal. <laughs> like it's experience, crazy. efficiency, maybe some yeah. laziness in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he gets it's crazy when he comes to life. He's yeah, the keeper's digging out of the back of the net, I feel like. Well, I ask, I ask every guest this who their favorite player is, and I'm guessing yours is messy. It is now, I mean, for now, I just I'm not a huge Argentina fan, and yet I I just want to watch Messi play one more time, right? I just, you know, he's his story is great. And, um, yeah, now that I've seen him play live, uh, I'm going to continue to be a fan. There's, there's, a lot of great, there's a lot of great players in the World Cup, and 
now even more so, um, and Amy and I both have had the opportunity in the past to meet the king, uh, Pele, and we all know Pele's story. His daughter is over in Qatar. I don't know if she's still there, headed over to Brazil to be with him, but uh, the nation rallying around him and and looking again, we and we took our UW team to Brazil and we got to experience the culture there. Amy had gone with the U-17s or U-20s to Brazil. You guys took us, my team, to the Tri-Cities. Oh, yeah, we did take you to the Tri-Cities. <laughs> whoops, whoops, not to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we took your ODP team to Germany. So, <laughs> it, um, but I will say Brazil, I've, I've tried to find a, you know, Mbappe, um, the, all the players we've talked about that have performed well, but Richarlison for Brazil to me has Amazing. been incredible. Like, I, I think he's, you know, hopefully when the premier league starts up again, he takes that magic right back. <laughs> I think he has the best player on Brazil. Uh, I think he's, he's had a great world cup up to this point. And I, right I feel now, like, yeah. uh, you know, he's, he's one to watch as they move along. And I think he, he could end up being the player of the tournament if Brazil wins it. Ooh, I like that call, Leslie. I really do. Yeah. All right, you guys. Uh, I know I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you so much for being on. It's really amazing to talk about soccer with you guys. I don't always like to talk about soccer with you guys because I like to just talk to you guys about life and as my dear friends. So I miss seeing your faces on the daily where I am yeah. in North Carolina post pandemic, but hopefully we'll see you over the holidays. I do have one last question for you and it is, what is your favorite World Cup memory? Oh. Um... Mine is uh, being within in Germany in 2011, um, sitting in the friends and family section of the game where Pino hit that ball to Abby. Uh, and our boys uh, at young ages, they were hoarse. Jack was hoarse. Amy and I were teary eyed. But being within shouting distance of you, not even shouting, I think we could almost talk at a normal tone when you walked over between PKs and for you to be able to hear us say, you got this hope, you got this. I'll never, for, I'll never, you can't steal my I'll favorite World, World Cup memory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was up there and I would say even, and Japan's another place we've taken our team. Um, Amy spent a lot of time in Japan. They won a World Cup there with the U20s when she was an assistant. Um, after the, you know, everything that happened with their country, even, even them winning it, that World Cup in Germany was was a special time. Um, and I spent the entire month in, in France in 2019, which was also pretty cool. But that moment in particular against Brazil um, and that game was one for the ages. Well, I'm going to give a little more detail for the listeners here. Um, 2011 World Cup in Germany. Leslie and Amy and their families went around in this RV all throughout Germany. So that in itself is one of my fondest memories. A little, little bit legendary. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, this epic quarterfinal match against Brazil, um, where, like you said, we we tied up in the final minutes. And the only reason why we tied it up is because Brazil was doing these shenanigans and cocky. All they had to <laughs> do Amy called say, it. She's like, just, oh, what are they just doing? Just get off the field. But she tried to fake it and do the yeah, she took time off the clock, you know, and the clock's winding down. We're down one zero. We're a man it's down like ninth minute of injury time. That's <laughs> yeah. how. And yeah. she gets up, she gets carted off the field, gets up and does a little Brazilian dance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, ha ha ha. I just messed with you guys. I'm not really hurt. So <laughs> the ref goes ahead and puts all this extra stoppage time on and we end up scoring in that same stoppage time. Anyways, uh, it goes to penalties and <sighs> I don't make the first save and a beautiful 
World Cup stadiums, beautiful German stadiums, the smell of the grass, the intimacy of it all, packed stadiums. And I believe this game was in Dresden, right? I think it was. Beautiful old city of Dresden. And friends and family section is right to my left, you know, just they're sitting on top of the field. And I walk over to gather myself and I'm by the corner flag while I'm gathering myself just to get away from all the madness and the, the, the chaos, right? I just am trying to collect my thoughts and I feel the love and the support. And I, I can look at you guys and actually make eye contact and see like your mannerisms and see what you're mouthing. Like, yes, it's this huge stadium packed with people, but I can literally find the people that mean the most to me who are going to help me get through this moment. And I don't make the first save. And I'm I'm a little just like, okay, that that sucks. I'm pissed I don't make the first save. And I just remember looking up in the stands and there you guys are like, it's okay, it's okay, you know, like, it's okay. And then I don't make the second save. And now I'm really like, fuck, oh, how are we, how are we going to, I have to make a save, I have to make a save. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, just swallowing my pride, you know, trying to stay calm. And I look up and there's Leslie and Amy right there in the stands and they just put their finger up and mouth. It only takes one. That's all I needed to hear in that moment. And you're going to make me cry again. It was like the third time (laughs) on my own show, I'm going to cry. But in that moment, I just needed that that reminder. Like, it's okay. It doesn't matter if you didn't make the first or the second. It just takes one to make a difference, to get your team through to the next game, to the semifinal match, which is against France. And it was one of the most important moments in my career because I just, I felt the support. I felt the coaching, you know, it was like my college coaches came and helped coach me through that moment at the World Cup, the biggest stage of my life. And at least we could do, we got off. good tickets. What's that? This is the least we could do. We got good tickets. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had just come off shoulder surgery as well. And that third save that I made was with my right arm stretched out as far as it could be. And man, we won, we won that game and it felt like we won the World Cup. It did. It was awesome. Because you were you were coming from behind. Remember, there's all the PK. Someone got a PK that wasn't a PK, you know, and you're like, <laughs> and so had to retake it. I made the same. You're playing a man down, all that stuff. Yeah. I re- The funny, the interesting part was when, we, when you're walking us through that moment, I remember, we remember thinking, if she looks up, what we need to be ready, <laughs> right? <laughs> Honestly, we didn't know. We were like, we can't be like dorking around and cheering. If she looks up and if she needs us, we got, we have one moment to give her one oh bit of gosh, advice. So guys. we were, we were literally like, if she looks up, we're going to tell her she just needs one just in case. Wow. Just in case. Right. Wow. So. Yeah. If I looked up and saw you guys all drinking beer and partying and screaming with your yeah. heads. No, Amy and I were the level headed ones. That might've been the rest of your family. that was doing that. <laughs> the rest of the fans. For, yeah. The rest of the fans. And, uh, your, uh, your sister, like bothering us with things like now what happens? What's this offside? Part of yeah, yeah. What's yeah. offside? What I like, it, then we had to put Jack and the kids between her and us just so we could focus. We, we sacrificed them to the rest of your Thanks, family. Jack. <laughs> yeah. Jack's the real MVP always. Well, that was uh, my most beautiful World Cup memory. So thank you guys for that. Amy, I don't I, I don't know if you don't all share to, the same I, one. Nobody can top that. Everyone actually thinks it's winning the World Cup um, in 91 because it's the one I was a part of as a player. But it actually just signified the end. It was sad. Like. It really is all about the journey. And if you're dancing around on the podium, you're like, it's over. 
And it's it's a weird perspective, but uh, I, I'll take you guys' That is a very strange over, perspective. Over ending, right? Well, I, I guess I somewhat understand because in 2015, it was like an escapade of emotions wiped over me. It was like the epitome of my career. Like we finally did it. Yeah. I can retire knowing I won a World Cup. I can walk away from the game and be happy. But you're right. It came with all this finality almost. Yeah. Like these, I will never be with these, this exact group of people in this moment ever again. It's everything I've, I've worked for. And now this, what am I going to do? Like now so, we did it. Yeah. Men's world cup moment for me was at Stanford when on 4th of July, I got to be at that game in 94. Um, then, you know, and, and at the time, Eric Winalda and Marcelo Balboa, I was just starting to coach at San Diego state. They had just finished playing there. Tony Mayola. I mean, that was Alexi like, our, Lales. Our, our, yeah, <laughs> our generation of guys. Um, and so you had a personal connection with them and it was just really special to be able to be in an American stadium and on the 4th of July watching them play. And we were selling t-shirts and the illegal t-shirts that were unbranded in the parking lot to be able to afford to keep playing on our amateur team. Drummers. Yeah. yeah. So we were, we were selling t-shirts and making a buck or two off the game before we went inside. But, uh, that was a special day as was the world cup final in the Rose bowl. But, um, just like 99, like. Being able to be at all those games in my life is why I go to Israel. Why I, I go to other countries because I've been able to do so many cool things in the game, and I've already got my tickets for New Zealand and Australia to a lot of the games uh, in both countries. I, I'm not 100% sure who's coming with this time around because the timing of the World Cup is when boys are back in school and things are starting up. But I'm going, so whoever wants to tag along, I'm sure I'll have a nice, uh, maybe a smaller RV than the yeah. the one yeah. we had in Germany. <laughs> But our boys are all too big. We can't fit all six of us in an RV anymore and sleep comfortably. So I'm sure the boys will go with you. We returned the RV. It was a little, it turned out it was new when we got it. It looked like a jalopy when we turned it back. We got in a little bit of an accident. The (laughs) the blinds were, and we, we literally rolled it in. The hubcaps got in the accident. The hubcaps took the brunt of the accident. And so we had the boys walking by the hubcaps while we drove in at like four miles an hour. So the people we turned it in couldn't see it. And then we had a Hope Solo jersey as a gift. Oh, thanks, guys. And they oh, literally were like, right. took the jersey, did not, we're like, let's get out of here before they see everything else that's wrong with it. So yeah, you saved us. Oh, Vitor saying, yeah. <laughs> World Cup memories. Yeah. Gosh, it's brought so much uh, beauty, you know, and emotion and sadness. It's brought everything to our lives. I guess not just World Cup, but soccer. It's the great thing about the sport. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on. All right. Love Thank you, you. Hope. Good Thanks to see for you. having us. Hope Solo Speaks is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Serious XM Podcasts.